1981, Muhammad Ali saved a man from committing suicide. For about 35 years, that's been the reporting. End of story. But after three years of talking to eyewitnesses, the LAPD, biographers, and a lone photographer, I think the chapter on this epic Ali miracle is just beginning. Everybody, Dwayne Johnson here to tell you about a new documentary podcast series titled What Really Happened? Narrated by award-winning documentary filmmaker Andrew Jenks in coordination with our company, Seven Bucks Productions. Ali talked Joseph down, but is there more to it? Was Joseph in on it? Was Ali showing the world that he could still talk, much less box? Why did Ali's people say Joseph was a Vietnam vet when in fact he wasn't? Go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you download your shows to listen to What Really Happened. Available now. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp, and on the other line, Ben Golliver. What's up, man? Not too much, Andrew. You know, you would have loved my grandfather, Donald Stratton. Uh, kind of a conspiracy-minded man, brilliant, slightly paranoid. He spent a lot of his adult life preparing for a return to the gold standard, not something okay. a lot of people are doing. But the reason why I bring him up is because one of my earliest memories of him, now I was old enough to you know, understand right from wrong, but not quite old enough to kind of talk back to him. And we were at a diner. He takes us back to the bathroom. You know, there's three bathrooms. There's the male bathroom, the female bathroom, and, and the disabled bathroom. And there's a line for the man's bathroom. It's just me and my brother and my grandfather. And of course, he doesn't want to stand in the line. So what do you think he does? Uh, he says, okay, just go ahead and go in the disabled bathroom. And sure enough, manager pops up from around the corner out of nowhere, goes to my grandfather and he says, sir, uh, you know, that's the, that's the handicapped bathroom. You can't be using that. And without skipping a beat, my grandfather looks back at him dead in the eyes and says, well, obviously we can't read the signs, so we're handicapped. And at that moment, you know, it's just one of those situations where you're thinking, why are we here, first of all? Uh, but did he have that line memorized, planned, prepared? Uh, was he ready for this situation? Has he done this before? And really, you just want to get out of there. You want to disassociate. You love right. the guy. This He's brilliant. This is clearly a traumatic experience for you. But you're a kid. You realize right from wrong, you shouldn't have been in the handicapped bathroom. And now there's all these people looking around at your grandfather saying, come on, man. Like, why are you violating social norms? The reason why I bring this story up, uh, that <laughs> thank that, you, I was really that, curious when we were going to get to a point here. That feeling of disassociation, of just wanting to bail. Uh-huh. I wonder if you ever feel that way about the Wizards, because I went to their game Wednesday night in Los Angeles. There's all this talk, Marcin Gortat, about how John Wall is going to kill Lonzo Ball. John Wall comes up with all this talk. Oh yeah, he's going to come yes. in and, and really put it to the Lakers. And the Wizards are not a disgrace, Andrew. They're not completely embarrassing. They're not the Phoenix Suns. You know, they're not some of these <laughs> other teams. But don't you often feel regularly, don't you feel in your life as a fan of the Washington Wizards, like you could just go running out of that handicapped bathroom and just wish that scene had never happened? Don't they constantly put you in that same position? So John Wall is my grandfather in this analogy, right? I guess my grandfather, technically, but yeah, you, you get what I'm saying. Everyone <laughs> yeah. has that family member that it's not like you're so embarrassed that you won't go into public with them, but you're just sort of always uncomfortable and nervous when you are in well, public look, with them, look. like something could go yes. wrong. And that's sort of what happened against the Lakers. That was a bad loss, Andrew, and I know you weren't feeling great about it. We're going to talk more about the Wizards later in the podcast, but I will say... I was really excited for that game and I was very tired uh, on Wednesday and stayed. I basically, it was harder than it should have been for me to stay up for the like 1045 start. And, um, but I did, and I had planned my entire night around it. I, I waited to cook dinner until tip off. Uh, so it was a real late dinner and I just had, had the right food for the first half. And I was just expecting like quite a show. And, um, it was three hours of some of the ugliest basketball I've seen in any NBA game so far this year. Um, the Wizards were half-assed. The Lakers are the Lakers. Um, but we have more to say about that game, but I, we, we shouldn't get into it just yet. Um, the And congratulations to you for 
consistently opening the podcast with these monologues that completely throw me off. Um, <laughs> a, a solid 90-second discussion of your grandfather. You are the best. Um, you're fresh off a, a nature walk. It's Thursday afternoon. And we're recording right now because you said you wanted to have a clear mind for uh, Bucks Celtics because Bucks games are church to you now. They um, are. So... <laughs> There you go. So we'll, well if you're we, gonna we, congratulate me for my opening, I'm gonna congratulate you for constantly going to your nervous tick, which is saying what time of day it is or reading off the <laughs> clock when, when you're trying to buy time and you don't know how to reply to what I'm saying. What you were supposed to say is yes, the wizards are a constant embarrassment embarrassment to me, but I can't quit them. They're my team. I love them. They're like family, and we're gonna get through this and probably with broken hearts by the end of it. That's where you were supposed to go. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm not stressing over an early season loss to the Lakers. I will say that. But we have a bunch of questions to get through today. Uh, a lot of great questions um, from all over the league. We are, we are going to start with rookies, though. So Sri says, hey, guys, love the podcast. It's my go-to driving pod. That's the highest compliment you can give a podcast. So we appreciate being part of your commute. And he continues, asking a question for the first time here. Boston youngsters have been doing really well, both Brown and Tatum. Tatum's offense was said to be from a throwback era, not very efficient with his mid, mid-range jumpers and fadeaways. And Jalen Brown was considered more of a defensive presence last year. What do you think has changed this year? Do you think this is sustainable? What's your take on the youngsters? Um, so... As a skeptic of both Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, I will say that I it's definitely looking like I'm going to be wrong on both these guys. Um, I think the big change this year is that they're in a system that's like five out, and uh, it's there's maxed, maximum spacing in every Celtics possession. And so Jalen Brown's job is actually pretty easy like he either is taking a spot up jumper or driving straight to the hoop um and tatum like look that dude has been great i think the big difference for the celtics has been that they are both better on defense than anyone would have expected and big picture you're starting to see what this season could be for the celtics like i think you take hayward out they're clearly not going to go to the finals or probably not even the Eastern Conference finals. But I think it's a big win if Tatum and Jalen end up getting a ton of experience and become ready to play 30, 35 minutes a game over the next few years. Um, and honestly, like I've been kind of blown away by how solid they've been so far. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the five out. I think that's a big part of it. I mean, one thing I would say before we talk about any specific rookies is, you know, I, in the past, I've kind of joked that this is the I'm getting mine generation. And yeah. we are in like everybody gets theirs uh, peak golden era of the NBA. I mean, right now, you know, through the first week of the season, obviously small sample size pace is up. Uh, the bad teams uh, have figured out that, you know, it is kind of an equalizer if you're going against a more talented team to try to play random ball, to try to just get up and down the court as fast as possible, jack as many threes as possible, and and just hope, uh, you know, you right. get hotter than they are. Uh, we've seen similar strategies in the past, kind of reverse strategies, whether it's hack-a-shack or slowing the game down or uh, any of these things. This is sort of like the modern era's version of that. So, Long story short, everyone's getting numbers. So if you're excited about your team's rookie and his amazing stats and like, wow, he's the youngest to do a triple-double since this or whatever, a triple-double or big stat numbers in 2017, not the same as 2003 or other points um, wait, even wait, like wait, 10 wait, years wait. ago. It's true. It's inflated, man. The pace is way up. Numbers are way up. And that is benefiting everyone. One other thing specific to the rookies, though, is uh, I think, you know, some of these teams with the earlier start of the season are working their way into it. And I think some of the the younger teams, that's playing to their advantage, too. Uh, you know, you're seeing huge numbers from teams that we didn't maybe expect it from, like Indiana, Orlando, Brooklyn, where they've got nothing to lose. They're coming and gunning and you're catching some of these older teams, uh, I think, working themselves into it. To me, that's a phenomenon that happens every season. Uh, and I think we're seeing it even more this year with the earlier start to the season. 
I am not going to let you downplay this rookie class because it's I, nobody's down, nobody's downplaying the rookie class, man. Because it's been a okay. long time since we've had a good rookie class. I'm just saying, like, there is cause for caution because lots of people are putting up lots of huge numbers. I mean, yeah, one yeah. part of I think being that's in, fair. I mean, yeah. there's cause for caution. It's been it's been like eight days of the season, so obviously we should. We don't yeah. need to anoint anyone right now, but I do want to use this question as an excuse to talk about some of the rookies around the league. Because even sure. watching, Lon- like I love Lonzo already. Um, he's such a he's such a weirdo. Like he doesn't even look at the hoop most times. He I've never seen him say a word to another. Like certainly not an opponent. I almost never see him talk to his teammates. But then all he does is throw like gorgeous passes and get great looks for the guys on the floor with him. And I've just never seen a player like that. He's just this sort of like mute savant. And uh, yeah. I wish his, like his dad has sort of made him like basketball Tebow and that's its own thing. But, uh, but as a player, like he's such a strange potential star and like granted he's still his jumper is fucking terrible but he like he does so many other good things that i kind of love him already yeah so just to underscore what i was trying to say it's cause for caution obviously because we're one week into the season it's also uh just cause for context in that it's faster the pace is way up everybody's getting on board with this new way of playing and that benefits everyone numbers are going to be up in terms of uh brown and tatum uh, and this is why I was glad that you mentioned the whole five out thing. I mean, Boston's on a cutting edge. They get it. They're shooting lots of three pointers. They're trying to spread the court. That's sort of been their thing these last couple of years. Uh, yeah. And those players are fitting the modern mold, right? I mean, one thing you can say about both Brown and Tatum is they're multi-positional guys. They're very switchable, interchangeable. I mean, that's what we've talked about, this idea of interchangeable or uh, total basketball or whatever you want to call it, where guys can do lots of different things and they benefit. Uh they're in that mold. So I, I think that's a very promising sign. I mean, that to me is sort of the the bigger picture takeaway for those guys is that once they do, uh, you know, get closer to their prime, uh, they should be the type of mold of player who you really want to build a strong five, even if they're not necessarily superstar potential guys. And I'm not sure I yet see that for either one of those guys. Right. Uh, but they're, they look like solid starters no matter what, which I think is a, is a big win for Boston. Yeah, for sure. And they're not mired in some of the stuff. Like, I mean, specifically a Tatum's situation, if you're a Boston fan and you're looking back on that trade of like, would you rather just have Tatum plugging and playing and being solid? Or would you deal with the Fultz drama? It's like, <laughs> you know, yeah. let, some, let somebody else worry about it. So, well, uh, can in, I, in terms can of I like, tell the, you, Celtics people like, crowing. Yeah, that's what I would be crowing about if I was them. Yeah, and I finally came to appreciate how special this rookie class is because I was writing about Fultz, and initially I had a lead where I was going around the league talking about how how impressive various guys have been, and the paragraph got so long that it wouldn't fit in the story anymore because guys just like... Like Lowry Markinen, for instance, has been quietly kind of great for the Bulls. Um, and like John Collins is probably the only reason anyone will need to watch the Hawks this year, but he's a good reason. Like every time I, I see John Collins, he's trying to dunk on somebody. Like that guy is great. And Deer and Fox, have you seen Fox at all? Yeah, no, he's he is quicker than advertised, which is hard because he was he's, advertised yeah. as like the quickest player in basketball. <laughs> yeah, like he I didn't expect him to be nearly as effective as he's been. And your point on that is is a good one that like the whole league is kind of a mess right now because there's been a lot of turnover. There was like a two week preseason. I'm sure guys will figure out how to guard Fox, particularly because he, he's still the jumper is still kind of shaky. But he's been great. Donovan Mitchell, Malik Monk, Dennis Smith. Dennis Smith, I can't figure out. Like, Dennis Smith seems really fun and seems like a guy who could be, like, prematurely anointed as a superstar. And then, like, four years from now, people are going to look look up and be like, why hasn't he won more than 35 games? Is that what we call the Tyreek Evans? But I think uh, <laughs> he de- there's a little bit of that. Like he's yeah. awesome. Don't get me wrong, but I just like some of these other guys a little bit more. Well, so with regard uh, to gauging these rookies, yeah, 
scouting reports are going to get out. And that's where I, I wonder for some of these guys, when you're having older teams play against rookies, like the whole first month of the season, it's just like, okay, Rook, show me what you can do. Right. And I think one major exception to that has actually been Lonzo. And I'm not sure if you want to attribute it to the like, everyone's gunning for LeVar's son, like that concept, or just the idea that he plays so uniquely in terms of trying to push the tempo and get the cheap stuff hitting ahead, where you actually do see already pretty careful scouting reports for Lonzo, aka go under every screen, force him to hit the three-pointer, which he hasn't been able to do. And then just whatever you do, no matter what, get back in transition because they will not be nearly as good as if if you take away that stuff. Uh, Lonzo's ability to adjust to some of those things and find points in the half court, like you're mentioning, drive and kick threes for his teammates. uh, You know, that has been sort of impressive uh, off the top, but they've had a lot of young guys play pretty well. I mean, uh, take that Wizards game. There was a moment like three, four minutes left where it was tied and it was like, okay, this is when the veterans take over and just finish it. This is when John Wall and Beal just right. go out not a great sign it. for the wizards and, that that didn't happen but it and, is and it, it is. didn't it didn't happen at all and like the the lakers were playing this crazy young lineup it was like randall and kuzma and ingram and that's another combination ingram and kuzma that's pretty interesting long term because i think they can do some of those interchangeable things that we were talking about with brown and tatum uh in in terms of their just like position profiles uh, that could be a nice group when, when they play them out there with lonzo but uh, you know, I could see the Lakers like sneaking that game out in late, late October. You know, if that game's in mid-December, you know, I think Washington's like putting their foot down and winning the game. So again, it's another example here of why caution's in order. It's early. It's early. But it's fun. It's fun as hell to just bounce around league pass and watch some of these guys. Uh, yeah. Josh and Jackson actually, in Phoenix. Slow like, down, slow down, slow down. Because everyone can see what you're doing. I mean, you're naming what? all of these rookies and you're leaving out the one guy who's just been the best, and that's Ben Simmons. And I don't know how ready you are to walk back a lot of the slander <laughs> that you put out there about Ben Simmons for the last 18 months. And I'm trying to be nicer to you more recently. You know, I've been complimenting you a lot on air and so forth. But look, you might, ha- look. You might have to eat the Simmons one. It's it's the golden age of the NBA rookie right now, and Simmons is part of it. I guess I just don't put him. I don't think of him as part of this class. All right, I think it's oh uh, asterisks are coming out. Okay, so you're no, gonna cape for <laughs> you're gonna cape for Joel Embiid at age like 27 last year to be the rookie of the year because he misses three years, however many. It was, I don't two. know, man. Look, Simmons right. looks good. He kind of seems to me like the type of guy who is peaking in high school. Like I think some of these other guys in the uh, of among the rookie will end up being better players than him um Mm. but i've been a hater every step of the way so don't take my word for it with ben simmons he has been awesome thus far and we'll see what happens see actually that's a fun thought experiment so you have been a hater the whole way so what is your new line of hating or how are you explaining away ben simmons success because everything you've said previously really hasn't panned out i mean the shot is clearly a problem. It's not holding him back. He's been fairly good on defense. You know, they're they're winning kind of out of so the So you don't think here. the shot is going to be a problem at all? No, of course the shot's going to be a problem. Everybody wants to have a shot, but, I, you know, it's it goes back to when everybody's playing spread out uh, and you can get to the rim and get to the free throw line, like I've been saying over and over for months. And like those coaches told you during the preseason, you finally were li- listening uh, of course you want him to have a shot. And, you know, even some of his like mid-range shot selection stuff bothers me. Like he pulls up for just some weirdo flip shots. I, I wish he wouldn't take. Yeah. But he's still having a monster impact, you know, play after play for their offense. Look, he's been great. I, and he's going to put up numbers for the next 15 years. I, I'm just curious how a team builds around a guy like that. And it, there's a longer conversation to be had. And it, it's it's too early because, like you said, like teams have no idea how to guard the Sixers because they've never seen a basketball team like this. Uh, but I think you're going to start to see uh, some more advanced schemes designed to throw off Simmons and Embiid. And, and I also think that like the interplay between Simmons and, and Embiid is going to change and be pretty interesting to watch as we go. And uh, prayers it up could. for Markel Fultz right now because yeah, yeah, yeah. he let's, is. Let's get to Fultz in a second. Real quick. Last point I want to underline with Simmons, though, is the position stuff with him is very weird. Like we don't totally know what to call him. How does he fit? But the skill set stuff in terms of, you know, collapsing a defense and then having excellent vision to find the open man, to move the ball, to make the right pass, to set up his teammates for success. 
that stuff to me, it's rock solid. And so that's why I don't actually think it's that hard to build a roster around him. If you just get a bunch of three and D guys and Embiid, that's a squad, you know, I mean, they yeah, don't even but have to be he, awesome. If he's going to start every possession on the perimeter, that's, that limits some of what you can do. And so far that's how he wants to play. And that's how Brett Brown wants him to play. Yeah. And he's bringing the ball up. And I think that like, again, which I said at the outset, I think if you put him down low, like I would rather have Simmons as like a small ball five or a Draymond type four than handling the ball out on the perimeter. But that's not yeah. what they're doing right now. Yeah. And it's you're, gonna be... un- you're, you're underrating his handle and his vision, man. He's so good when he's face up and he can read a defense. Oh, he really look. has that ability. He's it's a rare. I mean, he's. Like you could put him up there. Like having both him and Lonzo in the same rookie class in terms of court vision is crazy. Like I love where the NBA is going. If we keep getting this pipeline awesome. of guys with court vision and the league stays spread out like it is, we're going to have a golden era. The next ten years of basketball is going to be great. That's what I. That's more than anything else. That's what I love about the rookies is that there are just a handful of guys who are prototypes that we've never really seen before. Whether it's Lonzo Simmons, Lau. Lowry is like strangely effective and just bombing threes. Um, and then S- Dennis Smith and De'Aaron Fox are more traditional guards, but guards that I have always had a soft spot for. So, um, and we didn't even talk about like Donovan Mitchell, but, uh, and we're not going to talk about Fultz right now because I don't know who to trust in Philly. And it's just such a mess that it would require like a 15 or 20 minute conversation that would just be kind of a downer for everybody. So no, let's I, I like feel you, but, but you did write on them though. I wanted your like 90 second, like what was your takeaway when you wrote about it and you sifted through all these conflicting statements and the agent says one thing, he takes it back. Is it his shoulder? Is it his brain? I mean, what was your takeaway? Is it just, we can't okay. know, or is there really? like some conspiracy theory you're into? I mean, I want to hear it. No, no, no. I, I don't have like a clear take except that the Sixers have done such a terrible job messaging um, like for the past month. And I think when you're dealing with a number one pick, particularly with that crazy fan base and just like national scrutiny, like the entire league was waiting to see what happens with the Sixers. They should have been more conscious of how this was going to play. And so they did a terrible job and basically forced the agent to go to the media to clarify things and it's just been a mess obviously um as a player i just think like it's reasonable to say it's time to be like everybody be patient and i threw out the beal thing in the article where like i do think that we could turn around in three years and and Fultz will be completely fine and most of what the sixers expected but it's also reasonable to see him out there and kind of panic. Um, like I was talking to someone in a front office uh, a couple of days ago, and they said it's just it's rare to see a, a future superstar, even as a rookie, who doesn't like stand out when he's on the court and look like he belongs. And Fultz has has not really stood out at all and hasn't looked like he belonged. So that's like a real red flag. And and I think part of that is probably the shoulder. And part of it is that he's out of shape and, and just yeah. needs to like take the summer. Like he, he hurt his ankle and didn't get to work out this summer. And it shows. And cause he's, he's a lot less explosive than he was at Washington last year. Yeah. And I mean, he really sticks out like a sore thumb because everyone else has made such smooth acclamations, you know, like even yeah. if you want to hate on Lonzo or whoever else, like they're on the court contributing, putting up numbers, like we've said, uh, you know, Tatum hits the ground running. Simmons is off uh, to a fantastic start. I think my main Fultz take, and it's not very hot. Uh, I hear what you're saying about the organization and, and how they've handled things and sort of the built up resentment there. It's really frustrating that this distraction is taking away from Simmons's play. <laughs> like Simmons sh- <laughs> should be you're like, a, a, you a are a shameless story. Simmons no, stand. No, I, um, but look, like how long has he been away from basketball Simmons? I mean, he, you know, he doesn't play in the NCAA tournament. Uh, he's like flashes here and there in summer league. He misses his entire rookie year. They shut him down for his second summer. Like this guy's been away from basketball for so Look, long. If this continues, he will get his love. Don't worry about it. And at this, if, especially if the Sixers start winning, Simmons is going to be a big deal throughout the NBA. And he's probably, if we had to pick a leader, as the rookie among like the rookies for rookie of the year, he's probably the leader right now, right? 
Yeah, he is. He's my number one right now. I had him second uh, coming into the season, and yeah, he's been better than Lonzo to me. There, there is not a lot of question about that. Yeah, I don't know what to make of this Fultz thing. I mean, how much do you think it really is mental? I mean, do you think he's got the yips? I mean, do you believe in that? That's or no? the other thing. I think I think it is probably at least 30, 40% mental at this point. Like, he looks hurt, though. So it's not completely mental. It's not like he's just having a breakdown. But this is a guy who hasn't been in the national spotlight at all. And this is about as bad as, like, the first month could have gone. So I like if nothing else, the agent going to the media now gives the Sixers cover to sit him down for a month and let him sort of like work through this Uh, because even like on the court, he's he's been a point guard his entire life. And I know like coming into the draft, part of the appeal was he could play either guard spot, but they've asked him to basically play half injured and play a position that he's never played before while Ben Simmons and TJ McConnell handle the ball and play in like four and five minute bursts off the bench, which makes it harder to get, get a rhythm. So like he's just not in a position to succeed right now. And I think it's best for everybody to sort of like shut him down and, and reset around like Christmas. That was really, really well said. Everything you, you said there was was perfectly said. I want right. to congratulate you on. on that. Well, no, because I, I do need to come back at you because we saw what happened to Boris Diaw. <laughs> you know, you guys had coffee. He goes from a titleist in San Antonio <laughs> to his career falling apart. You know, he goes and has a really ugly stint. Uh, and then now he's out of the NBA. And Look, Markel man. Fultz, I mean, Markel Fultz was unanimous number one prospect in his class. Pure score, scores at every level. Uh, no one's questioning his shot. Then you do a feature on him right around the draft. And ever since then, um, you know, I'm just a little concerned. Like all these red it's, flags, look, we didn't even know were red flags. I mean, can't we blame you? I think that's what I'm trying to say here. It's not lost on me, okay? I've owned a lot of stock in various <laughs> players over the years. Uh, I, I think I can retire on my Giannis stock. That's that's my my nest egg. Um Foldstock is currently sustaining massive, massive losses. I had a uh, like an adult friend, um, an uncle, come up to me a couple days ago and be like, hey, "Like, how's it going? How's it going?" And like, I have a bone to pick for you, pick with you. What did you see in Markel Fultz? And I didn't really have an answer for him. This is just this is tough, but we are gonna get through it. I'm not selling any Fultz stock. Um, my DeJounte Murray stock is sky high right now, so I'm doing okay, and I think Fultz is going to be okay long term, but it is, it's, it's going to be rough for like the next year or two, because especially in light of how good the other rookies have been, it, it's going to be tough in Philly. Yeah, I'm with you. Strap in for the long haul. I mean, let's not judge this guy until he's 21, you know? I mean, at least okay. not. Next question. Stefan says... Sharp, I know you just got done watching the Lakers beat the Wizards in OT, which means you were forced to watch the Lakers, which means you were forced to watch Brandon Ingram. I listened to the guys at Hoop Collective say he should be trade bait for the Luol Dang contract and all kinds of other pods have crapped on his slow start. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. Ingram is younger than a lot of the rookies in this year's class. He still has a baby giraffe body. It's only his second year. I feel like talking heads are jumping on the bus bandwagon super quick. What do you think? Um, look, we're not going to spend the entire the entire podcast talking about first and second year players, but did you? How could you watch Ingram last night and not see him becoming a star at some point? Well, I'm not sure if I would extrapolate that from one game where he's finally hitting his mid-range jumpers and shooting confidently, but it did seem like his confidence was there in a way against Washington that it hasn't been uh, consistently during his career. I mean, he's just pulling up and and really going for it, whether off the dribble or, you know, going left to that little pull up he likes from the mid-range. I think that says something about Washington, honestly. I mean, these the Lakers were, were not afraid of the Wizards. I really hate to break it to you, but there was no fear factor. It didn't matter if John Wall was on him or Otto Porter or whatever. Dude, like You he are was going so for ready throat. to shit on the Wizards, no matter what. We can, Every question will come back to the Wizards, and they deserve it after that game. I just uh, want to say, it's not even, as far as Ingram is concerned, I've been a big believer in him um, for, a, for the last few years. And... 
it's not it, it wasn't even him making his shots last night um but it, but i felt this even watching him against the clippers even which was a, a rough night for him but i think just watching him move like he's got so much length that like it's hard to imagine a version of his career where he doesn't sort of grow into a problem for teams um and it like he's not going to be Giannis, and i'm not trying to put him in that category but like I think we, so far this season, our podcast has decided that Giannis is going to be the greatest player of all time. So he's I'm our not, future or overlord. <laughs> yeah, I'm not saying that Agram is going to be that level of superstar, but like he does some things and, ha- and just has some tools that will make life difficult for any team that's trying to deal with him. And watching him now reminds me of like early Giannis except that he's saddled with all these expectations. Like, if you go back to the, the second year of Giannis's career, every time he did something impressive, it was treated like, like a, a nice little bonus. Everyone in Milwaukee was like, hey, the future is bright. Like, we don't know what we have here, but it, 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 it's something. Whereas with Ingram, like, he has a game like last night. Luke Walton, I think, came out and compared him to Kobe today. Um, and, like... There were Lakers writers talking about whether he's going to be like the closer now, and and then there's also like the the secondary story with the Lakers and Ingram is like, yeah, he better do this every night or we're trading him to clear space for LeBron's supporting cast, and like it's just kind of a, a insane situation to be in. But I think just talent wise, like he's got a lot working in his favor, and he's still really young. Well, I understand why he bothers people because there's a fine line between like smooth and then just passive, you know, and like yeah, he walks that fair. line. He's walking back and forth between that line a lot. I mean, there is times where he will go invisible. Uh, that's a good point. And that and ultimately is probably what will set him apart from Giannis, whereas like Giannis, I think in year two or three, you could start to see that he had like a, a real mean streak to him and would just go for the kill sometimes and uh that's the one thing that like you can't you can't really project with ingram yeah and i don't i don't necessarily like this comparison to Giannis. i mean i think the one that people have made uh, kd you know it's a little bit similar vein because kd is not going to be that lead ball handler for your offense like Giannis is just as Ingram isn't either. So there's always going to be a certain level of reliance upon others to sort of get him involved and keep him involved. And and yeah. to me, uh, I'm not sure Ingram's got Katie's ceiling. I, I'm actually, I'm sure that he does Yeah, I'm pretty sure <laughs> I, I he does I should put it that way. But I think uh, he is... The the passiveness that people sort of read onto him is in part just his personality. He's very quiet, soft-spoken. I interviewed him in Las Vegas this summer uh it was hard to even hear what he was saying at times you know yeah i think uh that's a fair criticism but i think that sometimes like the silent ones are the ones you have to worry about right like the silent killers and i think that he has some of that in him he wants the ball i think late uh he's still working on it but the people who are trying to write these guys off this early silly you know and they're the ones who are going to delete their tweets in two years it's fine I'm not selling any any Brandon Ingram stock. That's all I'll say. Um, well, I think, I think I think that draft was pretty solid at the top. I mean, between the, yeah. the one and the two pick, and I still think Simmons has a higher ceiling as an overall like just one man offense. Uh, I think he's going to be a better player still than Ingram, but I always thought Ingram was going to be really good. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think, think I don't think Ingram is a guy that you can build your team around. Like he's not going to be a franchise guy, but I think he's an all star who can fit with like any team in the NBA. Um, I think that's where he'll be in year five or six, and it's still pretty early. But we got to move to the other side of that game last night. Joseph says, please address the elephant wolf in the room and provide your thoughts on John Wall's wolf season proclamation and homage to Michael Jackson's werewolf transition and thriller. So yes, if, if you don't know, the Wizards have been calling this wolf season, um, and particularly Wall has been really trying to make that stick, and I love it. Uh, but I think I, I definitely am feeling conflicted about the Wiz so far because locally in DC and even nationally, they've been getting a lot of love, whereas anyone who watches their games 
Like they've just been sloppy. Like Otto Porter has been great. I think that would be the most encouraging development as it doesn't look like that contract was a complete waste. Um, and he, he's just fantastic. I have nothing bad to say about Otto. The rest of the team is talking an awful lot of shit. Like they, they nearly started a brawl over Nikola Jokic, like glancing against Scott Brooks, but reading the quotes after that game, you'd have thought Jokic like punched Brooks in the face and then the Lonzo stuff this week, it's just a lot. I think they need to just chill out and play. Yeah, I think, first of all, with regard to Jokic, I think that Jokic might be inspiring some resentment among his peers. Uh, I think, Why? Well, I don't know if it's because he's European. I don't want to speculate on other possible reasons here. But it, there was some shots being taken at him on Twitter over the summer by some pretty well-known players in terms of, like, does yeah. he belong? Does he get too much hype? So I think that could have been fueling a little bit of it. But I also think, bigger picture, you're right. This team hasn't earned the right to be as overconfident as they are. I thought it was an embarrassing loss, bad loss to the Lakers. They should have closed it out. At the same time, bigger picture, I think Wall and Beal are both going to be all-stars. I think Beal had a pretty nice night. Uh, yeah, He's making good decisions with the basketball. I think uh, better decisions than he did earlier in his career, for sure. I think he's ready to and take better that decisions next step. than Wall thus far. Wall, I mean, Wall has been really sloppy. Um, yeah. and I think one, one sign of progress is that Scott Brooks is putting the ball in Beal's hands in, in closing possessions. Granted, that's not how overtime ended, but like for the most part, Beal is the option. Um, but yeah, the, uh, the, yeah, the no, flip that's side a great of this because actually after the game though, cause you saw the double clutch shot that wall threw up trying to get a foul from Lonzo. <laughs> it was, it was just so terrible. bad. And it was, it was a two also, they were down three and he had his foot on the line. Brutal. It was just awful and- all around. And so Scott Brooks in his post-game press conference goes, you know, we have to find a better shot. John's better than that. And I was like, wow, I'm watching a mirror of myself. Like, this is like Mr. Accountability, like disappointment. <laughs> Scott Brooks just lecturing John Wall just like That's I great. was. That's great. It was beautiful. I'm glad he was, said that, man. It was uh, a nice heart-to-heart moment for us. The flip side of the Wizards trash talk, though, is that I obviously love every second of this and i think this is more entertaining like if the wizards are gonna be the token one seed in the east and the token challenger that ultimately loses to lebron um i would much prefer they spend the entire season picking fights with people and talking trash about like the warriors and and lebron than just sort of like keeping it respectful and tr- and just being like a boring version of the Hawks. Um, and I look, I, I'll ride for John Wall every day, but like it's one of those things where you watch him. Any any anyone who you watch on your favorite team, you begin to notice their weaknesses more than you appreciate their strengths. And so I think that's probably where I've been for the last couple weeks with Wall. but uh, Well, the other good news is that on both fronts, basketball-wise and trash talk-wise, Keith is coming back. You know, We're, exactly, we're waiting exactly. on the grand re-entry of Markeith <laughs> Morris into this. The grandmaster. Uh, oh, it's going to be The one awesome. thing I'd say, just to tie this up, I mean, it is depressing because they are probably the best team or most trustworthy team uh, in terms of challenging Cleveland. Uh, I'm getting really in on Milwaukee, but I'm not necessarily ready to grant them that status quite yet. Um, yeah. And that just goes to show you like how little it takes in the East. And we should probably just avoid the, you know, bashing AAA like I'm always prone to do, but it, it doesn't <laughs> take a lot. You know, I mean, that's a questionable playoff team in the West. Uh, Washington. Look, I don't know, man. The, the The Western Conference teams came out Wednesday night and got their asses kicked. I mean, the Nuggets lost to the Hornets. The Pistons beat the Wolves. It's not the the, the bottom do of the West. Don't do this. <laughs> all right, fine. We'll move on. It's Wolf season in Washington. That's all that matters. Uh, Trey says, I'm a teacher, and I listen to you guys every morning as my class is walking in. That's awesome. I'm really glad that Open Floor has made it into the classroom. Um, And then he says, question, I'm a Miami Heat fan, and at one point the other night, we had James Johnson at at center and Justice Winslow at the four. Do you guys think that any team that starts a traditional center for more than 28 or 30 minutes can win a finals in the future of the NBA? Even DeMarcus Cousins and Anthony Davis might not get a team to the finals. And yes, I also realize that the Miami Heat already have Whiteside on our squad. So 
the reason I threw this in there is I have a couple reactions to this question. Um, I feel like Whiteside in Miami is like the canary in the coal mine for for what we're gonna <laughs> see in the fight, like with the future of the NBA. Because he Whiteside is good, but I like the Heat so much more when he's not on the floor. Um, and then the other side of that, though, is watching the Pelicans. I am consistently blown away by how good Demarcus Cousins and Anthony Davis are. And I don't think it's going to work in New Orleans, but like it would be a a lot of fun to see them end up on a really good team. Yeah, I mean, I think this guy's onto it. I mean, we've been talking about this, like how hard is it going to be to keep centers on the court if you can't cover the ground defensively? And to me, what it comes down to is, you know, can your five like defend the three-point line, basically? And that's a big ask for a guy like Hassan Whiteside. It's not as big of an ask for a guy like Anthony Davis, right? Like he takes one step and with that wingspan, Uh, And his quickness, like he can do that. He can cover that ground. And then can they operate comfortably on the perimeter? And I think what you're seeing with Cousins and probably one of the reasons why you're liking it is that, I mean, this guy has enough handle, enough moves off the dribble where even if he's being guarded by a smaller player like a four, you know, I think the Blazers were throwing a a Minu on him at times or, you know, other defenders uh, the other night. He can take yeah. that guy all the way to the rim like a perimeter player, right? So that's why it sort that's of works thing. for him. He he gets going downhill, and then it's like nobody has a prayer at the rim um, if he's if he's been able to like build up a, a head of steam. And it's fun to watch. The other thing with Boogie is like he makes four or five mistakes in every game he plays, where you're like, "What the fuck are you doing? What are you thinking?" And like. I texted you during one Pelicans game where I was like, if I were Boogie's teammate, I would flip out on him after some of these like stupid turnovers and dumb fouls. But that's been part of the yeah. Boogie experience for like five yeah. years. So maybe that it just, just says, is what that, it is. No, that says more about you. I don't think any of his teammates have ever had an issue with him over the course of his career. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. It's been smooth no, yeah, sailing like, the he's, whole way. He's really frustrating. Um, no, I think, again, this goes back to the difference between skill set versus position, right? So uh, when you're gauging these players, you know, ask yourself, rather than what position do they play, are they a center? Like, do they have the types of skills that uh, what we're calling interchangeable are going to allow? Like, of course, Anthony Davis uh, could be the center of yeah. a championship team here in, in five years. But, you know, could guys like Valen Shunis or... Uh, Gortat or some of these other guys could they well, be or Whiteside? Like all of our or all of our side. big man examples are generally kind of mediocre, like Valanciunas, Gortat, whatever. But Whiteside's good, and even Whiteside, even like watching yeah. Drummond in Detroit, like he's they're just the ball kind of hums when they're not on the floor, and when they're on the floor, it often feels like they're in the way. For sure, and so. Um, when you're judging these centers, just at, you know, break down their skills one by one. Are they comfortable on the perimeter? Can they do anything off the dribble? Can they move and switch defensively to get out to guard shooters in the corner or to defend high screens? That should give you an answer about how useful your center is going to be uh, in a hypothetical finals matchup over the next five years. Yeah. Um, all right. Next question. James says, does Carmelo love the hoodie thing so much because it blocks his peripherals? and makes it impossible to pass the ball. Can you remember a less self-aware rebranding effort? Does Olympic Mellow belong in the Hall of Fame with Rose when healthy or Boogie with an attitude adjustment? And lastly, I promise I'm not just trolling sharp right now, but hasn't Paul Millsap had a a significantly more impressive pro career than Carmelo? Um, James, I appreciate that you say you're not trolling, but <laughs> actions speak louder than words here. Uh, Paul Millsap has not had a more impressive career than Car- Carmelo Anthony. Get that shit out of here. But I will say, you raised an interesting question the other day asking whether... Well, first of all, Melo needs to chill out, uh, chill out on the, the hoodie thing. It's gone too far. Like I, I don't think I've seen him appear in public without a hoodie for the last like six months and it's someone who just like take he's taking the joke a little bit too far but uh you asked whether Mello was a hall of famer the other day and i think it's outrageous to think that he wouldn't be but make your case well 
before I do that, on the hoodies, I don't know if you've actually worn one of the new Nike hoodies, and I'm not. This is not a sponsored advertisement, but I can understand why Mello would always want to have the hood on, and he's not the <laughs> only guy who's wearing the hood. I mean, you're seeing lots of different guys go with the hoods, whether it's during uh, pregame warmups or on the bench. Yeah, they're very comfortable hooded sweatshirts. I mean, those warm up jackets right, are first nice. Of all. Let me say, this is not a sponsored advertisement, but Nike, if you want to send us some hoodies, it, no, this, can become, uh, this can become a sponsored advertisement. <laughs> don't do but that. As just saying, as... <laughs> like, before you judge Mellow's over-reliance on the hoodie, try that specific hoodie on, okay. and you're probably going to walk around in your daily life with the hood on. That's all I I'm think... going to say. I also think it's played out. I also don't believe in hoodie Mellow. I never did from the start. I think I made that clear. <laughs> I just want to say, like, as a fashion choice, I get it. In terms of Melo's legacy and Hall of Fame, everyone loves to do like, is Dwight Howard a Hall of Famer? Like that's like the age old debate. And of course, everybody doesn't like Dwight Howard's personality. So they love to undercut him. And of course, everybody comes around to the idea at the end of it, which is everybody gets into the Hall of Fame. So yes, Dwight Howard's a Hall of Famer, right? Right. I'm pretty sure Carmelo is at that same point where like, if the Hall of Fame had real standards, you could have a really strong case against him right in terms of like legacy substantive impact on the league are you really going to remember Carmelo as an NBA star 20 years from now I don't think so um but everybody gets it I think that's so he's going to get wrong though I think that's completely wrong I think the Hall of Fame should have standards and I think that Dwight Howard should not be in the Hall of Fame it pisses me off every time this is raised on Twitter or on some show, everybody's like, oh, of course he should be in the Hall of Fame. Or like, why? I don't understand why Dwight Howard is a no-brainer Hall of Famer. He had three elite seasons in Orlando. He, beyond that, he's disappointed every team he's been on. He's like not necessarily despised across the league, but like no one is going to remember him fondly. I don't really get it, why, why this is a foregone conclusion. So with That's that said— too bad. That, that's just really too bad. I think when you look at Dwight, I mean, obviously a long string of all-star appearances, three Defensive Player of the Year awards, took a team to the finals, also was very important in terms of the shift to four-out basketball. That never happens if Dwight can't be a one-man defense. You know, like they never really stumble oh, upon exactly on. how effective that is uh, if he's not there. You I mean, think you, that's you, Dwight? I, I give him a lot is... of credit for that. No, and nobody saw that when when the Magic made the finals, nobody connected the dots and and adopted that that blueprint, okay? I think if you're if you're going to talk well, about cuz nobody had a center like nobody had a center like Dwight who was able to kind of make it happen at that time. I mean, he was that dominant. Like you could just have him in the paint, he could get every single rebound for you. He could give you an elite defense even when you're playing right. Hedo Turkoglu at the 4. Uh, but I people think started crediting, to, people started to realize Dwight. that spread pick and roll and putting another guy out on the perimeter uh, was a smarter way to play. And, you know, to some degree, like Stan Van Gundy was kind of a victim of his own success a little bit. But I, well, spread pick and roll has come and gone. And you're pretty much crediting Dwight with something that Draymond Green actually did. Um, oh, I, look, what are you talking about? <laughs> I think Draymond was good, was good enough that the, the Warriors actually opened everyone's eyes, and then the whole league started playing five out. No, the Magic no. were just sort of like a weird blip um, for one year, no. and that Dude, I don't think that should on. be you're enough. You're rewriting to completely... NBA history right now. You're completely no, you're rewriting you're, NBA history. you're rewriting Dwight Howard's career based on two months at the end of, of the playoffs. Oh, like you're this killing is, me. No. I, I'm just saying, if you want to say that the Hall of Fame should have standards, don't, like Dwight shouldn't be in there. And to he was me, the best Carmelo, player at his position for about six or seven years, and I, I he has all the accolades to show for it. I mean, I don't know what more you want. He was better at his position relative to other centers than Carmelo was at his position relative to other forwards. I just, I think that the context should matter more than it apparently does. And I think Carmelo resonated culturally within the game with around, with people who cared about the game. And uh, that is a, that, that is a part of basketball that you com- consistently underrate. But I think that there are, as, there's a generation of basketball fans that are going to have really fond memories of mellow and uh well, people and- want to be the next iris and nobody wanted to be the next mellow because that meant no meaningful 
playoff performance, no real relevance. That meant reinventing yourself off the court as an entrepreneur because you have to stay relevant because you're not in any games that matter. You know what I mean? Like there's a difference between like being someone like people think is cool and being someone that people want to emulate. Everybody wanted nah. to emulate Iverson because he took, you know, he was at least in the finals. Like year after year, he he had, you know, reasons to follow him and he was actually an influential part of the league. Mello was just like a nice guy, friendly, pretty cool. You know, I mean, nobody really wanted to be mellow. <laughs> no, nobody wanted to be mellow because LeBron James was like right there sitting there and Dwayne Wade was in the, it was in the class, too. And so he just, had, he came up surrounded by other icons. But I don't think that he should be penalized for that because he was still well, like an, a legendary bucket getter. Watching mellow score is more fun than watching like it. Well, I don't know. I'm not going to go. So are we going to put him in the hall of fun? Far. I mean, is that what we're doing? The Hall of Fun? Like, if we're putting him in the Hall of Fun, then cool. It like, is the Hall of Fun, God damn okay. it! It's people well, yeah, that we he, care about. Frame his picture at Chuck E. Cheese. That's fine. Like, that All doesn't right. have anything to do with, uh, you know, Springfield. Yeah. Well, uh, let's move on to two Spurs questions um, and one and one podcast question. Ben says. Why don't all the podcasts go up on SoundCloud anymore? You are not the first person to ask that, Ben. And um, I think we're going to be back on SoundCloud soon. Uh, So apologies for the interruption there. But it's also available on Spotify and Google Play and iTunes. um, And something called Art19, which I don't totally understand what it is. But there are a lot of different avenues if it's not on SoundCloud. But it should be on SoundCloud again soon. and so now let's talk Spurs. He says, can someone please tell me going, what's going on with Kawhi Leonard? I live in Australia and haven't seen a single article, even from the Spurs, about his health, his return timeline, and what the injury actually is. As a Spurs fan, I'm glad that we've started well, but we can't win it without him. Um, so what have you seen from the Spurs so far? And like, I would echo Ben's sentiments. I it's kind of amazing how little we know about what's actually going on with Kawhi. Well, in general, because there hasn't been like any panicky reports or, you know, any insidery things about it really being a serious deal. All I've seen was one video of him, like climbing stairs into a plane where he looked really shaky and you couldn't quite tell if he was like jokingly walking so shaky just to like scare people or if he was actually walking shaky. So I don't want to read too much into that. My just surface level gut take is that the Spurs decided to open the season without him and that as soon as they started piling up losses and felt like they needed him, they would bring him back. That's just, you know, that's kind of how they operate. Like they uh, are able to pace their players and protect their players in a way that a lot of other organizations just don't. And they haven't needed him. They've been awesome. Like LaMarcus has been really solid. Like you mentioned earlier, Murray has been uh, a revelation as a stand-in point guard. Uh, their system has, you know, completely acclimated Rudy Gay, got him up to speed and they're really good. And they were ready to go out of the gate. Unlike a lot of older teams, um, you know, they didn't have this ramp up period. So to me, it's like the first time they have a a two game losing streak, they're going to bring Kawhi back. Now I have no reason to know that or believe that, but over the years, um, that seems to be how they've kind of handled things right now. That could always change if it's you know something crazy, but uh, to me, what's the rush? Why bring him back? They don't care about this MVP. You know, he doesn't care about winning MVP. Uh, there's no real reason to put him out there if he's anything less than 100. percent And they know it's a long season too, so I don't know. It's, That's my take it's on this. Pretty Spurs. funny because as you were talking, I started to get concerned that the Spurs won't bring Kawhi back until like March when really he's he's already fine because you're right there's not totally a a good reason to to bring him back uh certainly for the next month or so which look he could play this weekend i we have no idea what's going to happen but um if they're if they're playing to beat the warriors in may uh it's the same deal with chris paul like what incentive do the rockets have to bring him out just to play an extra 25 or 30 games 
Um, and, yeah, and, uh, and of those two guys, like I would rush Chris Paul back before I would rush Kawhi back because you got to yeah. figure out the chemistry and like how does he fit and all of those things. Like you know what Kawhi is going to look like when he gets back on the court. They know how everyone's going to play around him. It's the same team. It's not like he has to get up to speed other than you know his conditioning and stuff like that. Uh, strategically, you're not like, oh, like how is it going to balance between Kawhi and LaMarcus? Like, you know how it's going to balance. It's going to balance exactly how it did last year, right? So, um, you know, from that standpoint, the ultimate slow play here. I mean, I think they're the first team to go 4-0 this year uh, in the league. It's like, how do they do that without their MVP guy, the guy who supposedly had no help? It's just hilarious. But there's no need for panic or concern unless we get some like super sketchy Kawhi health injury report. But yeah, other than that, it, I trust I trust him pop. It's pretty insane. Um, Matthew says, as the Spurs are 99% likely to be the next destination for LeBron James, should they try to go get Eric Bledsoe in order to re- reunite baby LeBron with actual LeBron? Well, is this the part where I say that uh, Rich Paul and a Lakers executive were looking quite friendly yesterday at the Lakers game? <laughs> Look, I, no, it's not because I need you to stick with your Spurs theory. And I I take full responsibility for not mentioning any clutch sports conspiracy theories uh, regarding the Bledsoe trade on Monday because, look— First of all, Cleveland is definitely in play to some degree. I don't know what they could trade, but I really like the idea of Bledsoe on the Spurs as like LeBron bait for next summer. And I'm not going to let you give up so easily because as far as as far as the LeBron theory, I'm beginning to warm up to it in part because it seems insane that he would actually go to LA and it would be classic Bron to like lay lay out all these seeds uh linking him to the lakers only to flip it 180 degrees next summer and shock everyone so that the the story becomes lebron turned down hollywood and turned down fame so that he could just go win in san antonio like that option is out there man and they could flip lamarcus aldridge they could trade him to the suns tomorrow and it would be fine and i just think we should all keep that in mind I hearing you like read back or, you know, like pitch my own idea back to me, it brought a tear to my eye. I mean, I really want to believe I'm just not sure I see it anymore because of that LaMarcus deal in terms of Bledsoe on the Spurs. They're stacked, man. I don't what where do you want to put them? I mean, they've already got Murray to me. Starting point guard is going to be solid. I think there's a real question when Tony Parker comes back. I mean, you got to be careful there. You know, Uh, can I tell you if you've got Murray? Yeah, I mean, would you just keep starting Murray? Is that crazy? Do you know who represents DeJounte Murray? Oh, oh, who? Rich Paul, man. All oh, roads so, lead to clutch sports. See, so he's not going to have one client. The dots are all connected. Uh, he's not going to have yes. one client at the expense of the other, though, in terms of Bledsoe. I mean, I, I think they've got a logjam there. I think there's a question in terms of how much do you reinsert Parker into this mix if Murray is playing really well? I mean, obviously you want to show respect for him. He's been a starter the whole time. That's been his role. You want to keep Patty Mills in his productive role. I mean, you know, it's almost too many cooks in the kitchen as it is with those three point guards. I I don't see the Bledsoe stuff. Well, I mean, I don't think there's any scenario where they trade for Bledsoe and keep Tony Parker on the books. So that's number one. But most of this is just like bullshit conspiracy yeah. theories, so we don't need to read too well, much into it. But the uh, Spurs always treat their legends right. They're not going to trade Tony Parker to the freaking Suns to waste away his career. That's not going to happen. I don't know. I I think Tony Parker's doing just fine, and a four month retirement package in Phoenix would not be like <laughs> a, a mortal sin. Uh, I think he would find it in his heart to forgive the Spurs. But uh, a couple more questions here. That would actually be worse than Moutier for them, by the way. (laughs) What? If you're trying to go for like young prospects, like, (laughs) let's like build our future. Like we just have to have like two of our young players turn into all-stars and our new starting point guard is Tony Parker. (laughs) Yeah, that would be tough. Um, All right. So a couple questions. Elliot says, Golliver, you guys have been sucking hard on the Giannis teat. Giannis is awesome, but casually checking bucks box scores every night i've seen Giannis have one of if not the lowest plus minus of any bucks starter with all your advanced stats self-righteousness what do you make of that 
Well, congratulations, Elliot. You hit the two things that would absolutely ensure that your email gets read. One, you took a dig at me. And two, you put teat in. I mean, first we had tits up. Now we've got Giannis's teat. So you know exactly the, the path to Sharp's heart here with the, uh, the questioning. <laughs> in terms of answering uh, what you're asking, a couple things could be going on. First of all, small sample size uh, obviously applies. I mean, looking at one game plus minus samples is never a good idea to begin with, especially not early in the season. Uh, in terms of Giannis compared to the other starters, in most games, he's going to be playing more minutes than those guys. So it could be a fatigue factor that drags down his plus minus. In some cases, uh, you know, he's been running out like almost 40 minutes on some nights. Uh, it is hard to sustain like positive impact for that long, uh, even when you're young in your prime and you know in the middle of a, another breakout another thing could be just if you don't have a ton of depth so you're in there with second unit guys and you're getting outscored with those groups that is going to drag down Giannis's uh, plus minus whereas when other guys are on the court uh you know you're still putting up positive plus minus numbers like with that group but I think the main thing is like and you mentioned this before his pairing with Middleton and Brogdon and some of these other guys like the fit's pretty solid there uh, when those guys are off the court and replaced by lesser players, uh, that is going to drag everything down. So don't blame Giannis because of his plus minus, especially not after a week. Trust your eye test. And I was looking at their on-off splits offensively in terms of when Giannis <laughs> is on the court. Uh, it, it's almost as dramatic as Westbrook last year with the Thunder. Like when you take Giannis off, it, they fall apart much like Oklahoma City did when Westbrook was off the court last year. So trust your eye test. Like don't overanalyze or get sidetracked by some of these things like Giannis has been ridiculous. Like his teeth was... <laughs> deserve to be sucked. <laughs> God damn it. I was laughing because halfway through that answer, I, I just completely zoned out for almost oh, everything course. you said. And then I just heard you say, and then you start to take a look at the Bucks on off stats. <laughs> but uh, look, good answer from you. Continuing our shameless, hopeless. And people wonder why I have a short temper with you. You know what I mean? It's crazy. Continuing our streak of having the strangest Giannis conversations on the internet. Can you talk about the question you asked earlier this week regarding Giannis's future? Yeah. So after I went on my vision quest last week, and we got a lot of replies to that. Thank you, everyone, for that. That was uh it was really nice to realize I wasn't completely psycho. I was worried about halfway through that story that everyone was just going to write me off as a nut job. Um, at least a few of you were on my level. Uh, my question, I just started thinking, though, how do we get Giannis to that level of LeBron, right? Because he is playing catch-up. Like, LeBron was significantly more famous at this point of his career than Giannis is right now, even though Giannis is really blown up. I mean, millions of all-star votes, jersey sales, like he's doing it big. But how can we take him to that next level if he's going to close the fame gap with LeBron? And just one idea I had was what if they could sell jerseys and he could wear jerseys, sort of like the Brazilian rock star, superstar soccer players, where it's just his first name on the back. Just maybe make him more of a household name, Giannis. You know, so the jersey, it's everything's the same, numbers the same, all that. Milwaukee's got great uniforms, I think. Uh, you would probably agree on that in, in terms of their color scheme. They the really alternate. do. That That is working in his favor. If, if, if we're talking about world takeovers, the, the new Bucks uniforms the last few years have been pretty awesome. So obviously we need to get Giannis like a sneaker deal, the Air Giannis or whatever it might be. That has to happen. He needs a signature sneaker, like no doubt about it. Uh, that will take care of itself. But I also wonder with the jerseys, like if they went back to just letting him be sort of like Babetto or Ronaldo or Ronaldinho, where you could just buy the Giannis jersey. And remember the NBA experimented with this. They had the nickname jerseys for a while. It yeah. didn't really stick. I thought that was a great idea. And one thing we've seen under Adam Silver is he's really loosened the regulations about what kind of shoes you could wear. I mean, there used to be real strict rules about colors and all this you used to get fined if you wore yeah, certain it was, things it was pretty weird in retrospect to think back to how strict the stern administration had been look yeah. i love i love this idea i think it would be annoying if more players started doing it but i think that if Gian, Giannis's representatives should go to adam silver and and negotiate a a exception to allow Giannis jerseys to be sold internationally there are a few guys. Well, first of all, like Kevin for Kevin Durant would just be terrible. Yeah, like, <laughs> like there's and some the of them that would be bad. 
The nicknames are, are pretty lame. I don't like when baseball does it. I didn't like it when the NBA did it. But I think we need to make an exception for Giannis to allow him to fulfill his destiny of becoming an international icon. Because you're right. He, he, like, he, Giannis could catch on with the entire world. And it's worth pursuing. And I think there's a couple other guys. I mean, like LeBron, Draymond. Like, I could see those having yeah. some potential for sales, but not on the level of a Giannis. You know, like, yeah, Giannis- just to be clear, it would be lame if more superstars started doing this. I think it's got to be a, a single exception for Giannis. And I, more than anything else, I'm really just impressed that you were thinking about this by yourself on like a Wednesday <laughs> night. And, uh, came to me with it and I uh, but I'm in I think I think that's the that's the next step for the Giannis takeover I, I really do think he needs to start getting serious here and, and treating himself like a corporation let's get that shoe deal done <laughs> let's get the new jerseys like let's take Giannis Inc <laughs> to the next level it's Giannis Inc all right man well that's good we've got more questions that we will save for next week's episode um, including a debate about who would be a better general manager. But uh, but for now, um, good takes. We will be back next Tuesday. And uh, look, go enjoy Buck Celtics. Another church service for you. It is. And I know you're going to watch too because you're hopping back on the bandwagon. I'm sorry about your Wizards. Uh, You're going to need to have a backup team. I have a feeling they're going to (laughs) continue to embarrass you in public, uh, just like a certain one of my family members. Andrew? Hey, one more thing. Five-star reviews, as always. Uh, and thank you to everybody who has supported the podcast. We've got, we're getting more emails than ever. And um, we got some numbers back this year. The podcast has, has grown a lot over the last six months. Um, so thank you to everybody for listening. And uh, we will be back soon. Go enjoy Giannis, that's a, Ben. That's a great point. It's not just open floor nation. People love that nation. <laughs> Thing when they talk about like who listens we're open floor globe andrew we've got fans from i was gonna everywhere. say family but yes the whole no, it's, world it's international and not only that after i was plugging my instagram on last week's episode talking about my caption game with the dot dot dots you know the fake deep <laughs> coffee house uh dots i added like 100 followers in like 24 hours it's unprecedented internet social media growth thanks to our and listeners truly, so i owe all truly. of you guys a big thank you for that Yes, Instagram growth is truly all Ben cares about. So thank you to everyone, and uh, we'll be back soon. We should really end this podcast. Goodbye. Another great edition of Open Floor is in the books. Did you know Locked On has a daily podcast for all 30 NBA teams? If you're a Lakers fan, search Locked On Lakers. A Celtics fan, search Locked On Celtics. Warriors fans, search Locked On Warriors. Yes, all 30 NBA teams have a daily bite-sized podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. Search on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts for Locked On, your favorite team. Or tell your smart speaker to play podcasts, Locked On, your favorite team. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.